Well, good morning. I'm sure most of us are feeling muscles that were like, ooh, we didn't, didn't realize I had that one. <clears throat> we find, <clears throat> excuse me, Deb and I find that the uh, hurricane really is a door opener for us in the neighborhood. And uh, we just have so many opportunities to serve. It's kind of an older, there's younger couples in there, but there's a number of older couples in the community as well. <clears throat> so doing a lot of roof checking and cutting big branches and putting up little, uh, uh, those tent things around people's cars. And so good opportunities. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Lord, in my life, I, I like, I like foundational principles, and uh, I seem like in my life I keep coming down to those foundational principles, and uh, faith is actually one of those, and we know that that is what, every, everything else that's built on is is our faith, right? And uh, <clears throat> see, I forgot my clicker here. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about. I find it interesting. Tim and I seem to be on this path the last couple of years in the book of Hebrews. I really appreciate your teaching last week, Tim. Look forward to the rest of it as soon as you can deliver that. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> as I was just uh, pondering this section, and to me some of the harder chapters has been chapter 3, and interpreting all that that has to do with, uh, you know, one of the warnings, the admonitions there. And um, it talks about the, I think, the stewardship of faith. And uh, it talks about Israel and how they just would not, just would not trust God to move forward. And so God held them in a holding pattern for 40 years there in the desert. So much we could talk about that. But then he spends a lot of time, the author spends a lot of time in chapter 3 and 4 talking about that aspect of, of uh, you know, walking in faith and not doubting. And uh, then he gives us this warning in 3.13. It says, but instead warn, admonish, and urge, and encourage one another every day as long as it is called today. And so that's what I want to do this morning is just, uh, again, look at some of the the fundamentals of our, our Christian life, and uh, look at this aspect of uh, faith. It says, those who are justified are to live on the basis of faith, that this principle underlines our entire relationship with God, is seen from Hebrews 11.6, which says, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently uh, seeks him. And uh, as we go on there, we recognize that all through Scripture, Second Timothy, we're going to look at the lot in the old. By the way, this is a, what we call a topical study, so we're not going to look at like one portion of Scripture, but we'll look at a, a lot of various ones. Second Corinthians 5.7, <clears throat> where Paul says for... We walk by faith, not by sight. So I want us to look about these two. We're going to look at uh, kinds of faith. So we understand saving faith, right? We make a distinction that there is a saving faith, a time when we, we recognize and agree with God that we have absolutely no standing before a holy God at all, that we must trust in what he has completely done through the through the person and work of Christ. And we make that decision 
And that would be saving faith, right? So how would we define our walk of faith? So I'm posing that as a question to you. If I say, okay, let's define our walk of faith. Now we understand what saving faith is, but how could we define our walk of faith? Like how would we how would we describe that? Okay, day by day acknowledging him. <clears throat> else? Okay, as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. The aspect of faith, right? We received him by faith, so we continue to walk by faith. <clears throat> I'm sorry? <clears throat> okay, excuse me. Uh, being diligent with the word of God. Okay, progression. Okay, good. You know, we had these same discussions. As we meet as a executive team at Ethnos 360, I'll take a couple hours with our team just, you know, just in God's Word and praying. And so it, we, it was fun to discuss this question with them as well, learn a lot from them. <clears throat> and, um, you know, to me, as I look at this aspect of faith, I think it's faith is rooted in the Word of God. And uh, as I try to define, okay, if I, if I had to define a walk of faith, how would I describe that? I think it is, um, <clears throat> you know, how are we walk, walking with the truth that we already know? And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the residue of COVID. Um, <clears throat> there's often in my life where God seems to take me to a point, and, um, and I'm kind of going through that right now with just different things that are going on in life, just some transitions that will be coming Lost a dear, dear co-worker in uh, South Asia. And uh, our team will never be the same without him, you know. And so we know that as we go through life, nothing stays the same. It was kind of good to have that conversation with different neighbors uh, this week, you know. Nothing stays the same. And uh, it, things continue to change. And I find that sometimes as I go on, it's like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, we've been running pretty long and uh, maybe it's time to just downshift a little bit. And uh, But, you know, the Lord will never give me rest with that type of thinking, and I'm glad he doesn't. Um, and so uh, as I look at these different challenges in life, God has often brought me to a point where, okay, in this situation, I have to decide, am I going to walk in the truth of God's word, what he says about his character? Or at this point in life, is that going to be the ceiling of how I define God? In other words, if I'm not going to willing to go beyond that, I guess it could be disobedience. But in some ways, I'm defining that I don't think God is big enough to meet that particular challenge in my life either. And so when I hit those things, I'm like, man, no way, no way to... I don't want anybody to record my life and say, okay, he hit this point right here. And that's as far as he would go. And uh, to me, that causes a lot of fear. I think godly fear, a good fear. That I, I don't want to. That's not how I want to live my life. So I look at this aspect of of uh, the walk of faith. To me, it is to continue to press into God's character. It has nothing to do with us, right? It has everything to do if we're willing to press into what God said and his character, whatever. And I'm sure if we went around every single person in here, you would be able to, to identify something in your life, either right now, maybe something that's kind of out there a bit, and uh, this is going to be a challenge for you. 
And so we come to that aspect, okay, are we really going to trust God? I find growing up, I've been so blessed with good teaching. And there's times when I'm like, I don't want any more knowledge. Uh, I got enough knowledge. Am I really walking in the knowledge that I have? See, that to me, that's the most important. And I know it is for you as well. So as we go through Scripture, you see these things. And to me, when I look at faith, you constantly see faith in the Word of God. You can, you can't separate those. It's like love. When you look at love, you'll see sacrifice. Almost many, many times as you study God's Word, there, you can't separate that. If you look at prayer, you'll always see dependence as well. And uh, some of those things. So if we go to faith, to me, it's so closely linked with God's Word and what God said, how He describes His character how he describes his expectations of us and uh, comes to that. Faith is a basis on which God works out his will in you and I. Okay, Faith is the basis that God is going to work out his will in you and I. Also, it's through faith that man is enabled to realize the will of God. We think of references like uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, uh, you know, it takes... God has laid everything out, but then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, are we willing to to really walk in those things? And to me, if I can say, that's where you begin to separate the men from the boys. You know, those that are really willing to continue to press on. And uh, we're going to see some examples here. <clears throat> I, I picked up a book a few a couple weeks ago. You guys know who Theodore Epp is. He was at the... Uh, you help me. Back to the Bible. Thanks. I saw I could read lips. <laughs> Back to the Bible for many years. He's passed away, but he had a book, and the title of it was The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I've studied many, many times through the life of Abraham, but I haven't spent a lot of time with Isaac and Jacob so much. So it was good for me to go through that. But the thing that really caught my interest was how he described these three men and their walk of faith. And that's what I want to kind of remind us. You know, in First Peter, how often that Peter says, you know what, this isn't new stuff. I just want to remind you guys, it's important that we think about the stewardship. If I can say the stewardship of knowledge that you and I have, that's what it is, right? So when you look at the life of Abraham, we, we recognize that if we had to identify his or describe his faith, we would say that he had an obedient faith, right? Um, and we'll get into this more. If you look at Isaac, we see kind of a passive faith. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, but you don't see like great forward motion as you do in the life of Abraham. And then when you look at the life of Jacob, I think we see a restless faith. But as I went through that, to me, I just saw nothing but the grace of God. Because each of these men did have faith, right? Um, but it kind of, on the spectrum, there was quite a difference. And yet, you know what? God engaged with each one of those men. And to me, it was encouraging because I've had times when I would say that probably if I was to, in a given situation, I would describe my faith probably in one of, in each one of these categories. You know, there's times when I've had restless, and uh, man, I don't know, God, I don't know. Are you sure you are, are you sure you know what you're doing? 
And uh, you know the conversations that we have. And uh, maybe a passive faith. Maybe just not really pressing forward. And, you know, God takes us through those times when I think it, it, it just kind of grows and stabilizes us. And, uh, and then other times when he really tests us, we're going to look at all those things. I, I watch these big, we're underneath these oak trees. And, and uh, you know, every time we have a storm, I, I have to kind of say, you know what, if I would buy another house, would I buy one under an oak tree? I'm not sure. <laughs> we love the trees, but they're a lot of work. And uh, <clears throat> But I watch the storms really, really flexing. And I'm just impressed what those trees can take. And I'm kind of glad for the storms because I think they do strengthen the tree. It takes the small junk out, and uh, that's what we're picking up. Hopefully not the big pieces, right? Um, <clears throat> it takes out big pieces at times, too. But uh, it does strengthen them. And uh, that's what trials do. And then with, again, going backwards here, we go to uh, Abraham's obedient faith. And we, we're going to see the nature of that faith where it took Abraham. <clears throat> God was willing to be called the God of these three men, even though they were very different in character and had a great variance in their faith response to God. And there's God's grace right there. That to me, it's, no, I, I can't get beyond that passage in Hebrews 1 where it says that God came and spoke to man. He was the one that took initiative. No, we never took initiative with God, but he was the one all through the beginning of history, even with Abraham. Was it Abraham that was seeking Abraham, Adam? Was it Adam that was seeking uh, God? It was God that called out to, to Adam, right? Adam, Adam, where are you? What's going on? God knew. But he took initiative, and from that point all the way through history, we see that here it is, God desires to speak. He desires to reveal himself, desires to help man understand. And Tim, it it helps us to grow in our understanding. We should be progressive in what we are learning and progressive in our walk of obedience and uh, when we look at the, the life of Abraham, we see seven encounters with God. Uh, we're going to see that we see seven encounters with God with uh, Abraham. We're going to only have two encounters with God with Isaac, and then we're going to have six encounters with God. And uh, again, we're not trying to look at uh, specifically, I don't even know if you can read all that, but I'll, I'll put it up here. The, this presentation will be available to you, but... Uh, Got it so small, small on my screen here. Okay, um, I'm just going to go through them real quick. We know in Genesis chapter 12, and of course before even 12, uh, where God called Aaron out of his homeland, Abraham out of his homeland, right? And uh, he said, you know what? Separate from here. We see a major principle. First principle of the walk of faith is a life of separation. And he wanted Abraham to separate, come away. And uh, and then in Genesis 12, uh, we see that God promised to make him a great nation. We see Abraham's obedience, right? Uh, like, okay, uh, he heard what God asked him to do, and he separated. He moved away from his homeland. And, uh, and then God promises to make him a great nation, bless him, make his name great, and to be a blessing. Uh, in 13, you have that dispute with uh, um, Abraham and Lot, or with Lot, right? 
and his third communication, God's third communication, involved uh, Abraham. Uh, just God said, you know what? Look all the way around. Every, everywhere you see, that's the land that I'm going to give you. Uh, 15.2, um, <clears throat> God promises, typo there, him a seed which would become a great nation. God has now become more specific with Abraham as to regarding uh, his seed and that, that nation promise. Genesis 17, God reiterated his uh, solemn uh, covenant with Abraham and gave circumcision as a sign of the covenant. Uh, 18, a final and direct promise of the birth of the son of the following year. And then 22, God tested him. If you look at that progression, you do see that God was taking Abraham deeper and deeper into a relationship with him. And uh, <clears throat> interesting, anything that Abraham sacrificed so he might enjoy the fellowship of God was reduced to nothingness in view of what he received. That's God's grace. You know, we can never outgive God. And uh, whatever, think, whatever we might think we're giving up, which we don't, but if we do, <laughs> God always surpasses that. And it, it reminds us of, uh, let me go back, uh, Ephesians 1.3, <clears throat> where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, right, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He could do no more for us. Uh, he's already given us everything. And again, our, our decision that, that we need to make is, are we going to walk in light of those promises? Then we get to Isaac. Oh, I'm sorry. i got to cramp it. My shoulder. <clears throat> James uh, 2.23 says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Isaiah 41.8, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, and God refers him to him again as my friend. You know, as I went through this, I found my heart just kind of envying, say, man, that's what I want to be. I would like God to be able to say that, you know, to have that kind of a relationship. But how did that happen? Other than Abraham decided to respond to God, right? And you and I have the same privilege, even more so today, where God calls us, we, we think of, uh, where is it at in John chapter 15, where God says, you know what, I'm not calling you servants anymore, but I call you friends. And he invites us into this incredible friendship with him. And, uh, you know, again, all that is based, it's there for an invitation, but it's really based on are we going to walk according to, in obedience, the things that God has put before us. If we look at the life of Isaac, really not a whole lot. I think there's two chapters on Isaac. Uh, you can maybe say three with uh, the chapter regarding his uh, wife. And uh, there's um, the first, the two here is uh, Genesis 26, 1 to 5. And God revealed to him that the covenant made with Abraham would continue in him. And then at that time, God said, I do not want you to go down to Egypt, but to dwell uh, right here in the land of Canaan. I will be with you. I will bless you and give you all these lands. And this was a ratification and reiteration of the God's promise to Abraham. And then the second one in Genesis 
26-24, God again ratifies the same covenant. And uh, those are the two times that we see, and the only two times, that we, at least in Scripture, that we have uh, mentioned there. So then when we get to Jacob, the, the man with the restless face, and I wonder how many, how many of us would identify with Jacob. And uh, we could do a series on the life of Jacob. And, uh, but we have these six communications, these six encounters with God. Genesis 28.10, uh, with his head on a stone pillow, God appears to him with great tenderness. You know the scene with the ladder, and, and he, he uh, <clears throat> says that he'll be with him. And uh, it's interesting Jacob's respond when you look at that chapter, because he comes back and he says, okay, if God will be with me. And uh, that, was, that was always his struggle. You know, and it won't be till the end of Jacob's life that we actually see him take an initiative, and not to the very end when he's ready to go into Egypt, and uh, we'll, we'll see that. Second, uh, not second, second Genesis. Okay, Genesis 31, uh, 3. He says, okay, return to your land. How many years was this? I forget, 14 maybe? And, uh, no, 20, 20 some. Yeah. And, uh, Return to your fathers and to your family. We know the whole story there, right? And uh, it was when he was fearful of, of uh, Esau. And here he was kind of making his plans again. And uh, he said, okay, I'm going to divide my all my people up in two groups. You know, if, if Esau attacks one of them, he's part of us will survive. And so that was his way. And I thought, how many times in my own mind do I do I start trying to strategize first without saying, man, you know what, God, you're right in the midst of this, and I can trust you. And uh, mind you, we have to be wise. There's there's a lot of promises. There's a lot of instruction that we can go to. But and uh, you know, leading the organization with the team of guys too, we have to stay ahead. You have to plan. Uh, but we never want to rely on those. And I, we always say, you know what, we hold our plans really loosely because we can't see what those next steps are, but God does. And if he wants to redirect us, uh, then we want to be open to that. Then you get to Genesis uh, 32, 24 to 32, where Jacob wrestles with God. And then his name is changed right there to Israel. And, uh, <clears throat> and then here uh, we see that God needs to break in order to make, and uh, you know what? If we want to, if we want to resist God, if we want to stay in that pattern of restless faith, you know, God will, God in love will continue to work with us. And at times, He has to bring some pretty painful stuff in our life to get our attention, to bring us to the end of ourselves. And uh, some of us have some pretty strong wills, and uh, we're just going to keep gritting our teeth, and we're going to, we're going to found through this somehow, you know, where God, you think of the, the promise in Matthew 11 where he says, man, come unto me and I will give you rest. And uh, there's so much in there that God wants us to have a restful faith. And, uh, and my back is just cramping up all over the place. <laughs> uh, Genesis 35.1, then God comes to restore him. He commands him to rise and go up to Bethel. We know the whole picture of what his two sons did and uh, killed off all the men and uh, check them there. And uh, 
And Jacob says, man, you guys didn't do me a favor here. But Jacob was always functioning in a realm where he, he couldn't see God in the midst of this situation. And how many of you and I have, people have, we've come in contact with, and they should know better. They've been believers for a long time. And you see some, sometimes even minor things, and it just rocks their boat big time. And I think that's so sad because, you know, we should be progressing. We should be, God wants to continue to cause those those uh, branches in life really to flex. He brings in the storms, and he does it for a purpose to strengthen our faith, to move us into forward into deeper things. And uh, we don't see that from the life of Jacob. And we see that he was either trying to work out a plan, he was fearful, and uh, but you don't see him, you know. And I, you know what? I, I haven't studied this out, <clears throat> but I don't think, other than that stone, I guess you could was the stone that he was sleeping on. I don't think he called that. Did he put up some kind of monument there? And maybe you could say that was the altar, but that, I think that was the only time where you see that Jacob actually set up some type of a monument, and uh, you don't see that. <clears throat> Genesis uh, 35, and uh, it's, again, he reiterates, God reiterates, your, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. And he says, I am the God Almighty. And uh, you know where that phrase was used first with Abraham, right? Is it chapter 17? <clears throat> uh, when it comes to him and he says, look, uh, you are going to have a son. And... Uh, and he says, you're the God Almighty there. <clears throat> and uh, I might have that, that reference wrong. Genesis uh, 46, this is the last one. And <clears throat> he finds out about Jacob. He's getting ready to move into Egypt. And uh, must have been a pile of people they were moving. They just mentioned all of his sons, and I didn't do a count. It must have been a big, big move for them. Uh, God used famine to move them. And, of course, he had told uh, Abraham that, hey, the, Egypt is going to be a holding place for you for 400 years. And uh, <clears throat> so God tells Jacob not to be afraid, but to go to Egypt, and uh, and he will make a, him a great nation there. And uh, that place of meeting was Beersheba. That's an interesting study because Beersheba is at the very south part I think there's nine times in Scripture when it's when the Old Testament is describing the scope of the land, it goes from Dan to Bathsheba. In other words, Dan would be the farthest to the north, and then Bathsheba is to the south. And uh, here Jacob is at the south, the most southern uh, point, and that's where God meets him. And... Uh, it's interesting, this is a time where he did seek out God. and uh, But again, I was interested, I look at that, and I thought, man, no altar. <clears throat> there was no altar built there. And if you go back and you look at the places of Beersheba, uh, <clears throat> uh, Abraham built an altar there, Isaac built an altar there, Jacob did not. But he did have an exchange with God right there. I want us to... <clears throat> And I'm really sorry. <clears throat> Move into the New Testament. Um, I just want us to look at First Timothy, and I find it interesting it, that faith is mentioned 18 times in that little book, in that little letter. 
And uh, it was a crowning characteristic of Timothy was his unfeigned, uncompromising uh, faith. And uh, <clears throat> it's interesting if you look at that. We don't have time to get into it all. I'll just throw it out and you could look at it. But how much faith and conscience is mentioned in First Timothy and Second Timothy. Um, <clears throat> so as we look at the stewardship of our faith, Paul actually uses a term, shipwreck. And uh, some individuals have made shipwreck of their faith. So if you, if you want to look in your Bible, you can, we'll look at a number of verses here in 1st uh, Timothy. But 119, as Timothy's, or Paul's writing this tender letter to uh, Timothy, uh, <clears throat> Hymenius and Alexander were the two that he said, you know what, this, these men have shipwrecked their faith. So that tells us that with the stewardship of faith that we can actually we can actually really destroy the faith that we have and how we have to guard that, how I have to guard that, how I have to allow the Holy Spirit to place me to where he can say, you know what, here's some areas that, you know what, this isn't strengthening your faith. This isn't helping you to grow. And uh, <clears throat> I love this picture right here, and I, I might have shared this here before, but in 2006, this uh, Costa Concordia, was actually an Italian flagship that was made $600 million. And uh, the captain, um, there's so many analogies that we can learn from here. Scatito, I think was the captain. And uh, a year later, he completely trashes his ship. And uh, what he did was he had his right off the shore from uh, Italy, and he had a captain friend that was on the shore. I thought, man, it'd be cool if I can just really bring this ship in pretty close. And he was on the phone talking to this guy. He said, hey, we're, look outside your window. There's a beautiful ship out here. And as he did that, he raked alongside of the other island on the other side. And uh, what he did was he shut all of his navigation stuff off. You know why? Because he said, you know what? I've done this. I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. And... Uh, he drifted off more than he wasn't where he thought he was. And uh, 70 meters scraped that hall, and it went down right there. The ironic thing is I, I, I've kind of watched this story, was if you think of this ship that would cost $600 million, and it cost over double that to take care of this ship, it was now in the water. The Italy didn't really care for it to be there. <laughs> they wanted it out. So over double that, and I thought, you know what? When you and I allow our faith to get shipwrecked, and the fallout is big, and I like to refer to sin as the shrapnel of sin, because we think sometimes we can just we're little islands, and the decisions that we make, especially in the West, where we're so independent, we think, man, what I do isn't going to affect Jonathan here or David or whoever. Um, it's just me. But we need to look at the body of Christ that, man, we need to see sin as shrapnel, like a grenade. And it goes, and you know what? It hits It hits a lot of people. And uh, the effects go very, very deep. So, yeah, just the, uh, <clears throat> you see the picture there. The good image is to remind us. A wreck is ra- rarely the re- result of just one cause, but it's also, it's often a combination of factors. 
that spells the end of the line for a ship. I read a, one year I just read a whole bunch of books on shipwrecks. And uh, there's two causes really for shipwrecks. One is navigation and the other one is mechanical failure. And uh, you know what? When you study the book of First and Second Timothy, you'll begin to see that, you know what? There's two causes for shipwreck faith. And one of them has to do with uh, failure to maintain sound doctrine. And I tell you what, you should constantly be thanking God for this assembly and the teaching that we're so blessed to have within this assembly here. Good, good teaching, good, good foundations that are, are constantly being laid. The second one that you'll see is uh, not only a failure to maintain sound doctrine, but moral failure as well. If we could look at our inner life, we talk a lot about different uh, principles uh, for leadership. And I have the young guys say, "Man, can you help me? Can you help me?" understand and grow in leadership, I say, okay, here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with your inner life. And and that's different because they think, okay, it's out here somewhere. No, God always leads from the inside out, right? Always. God always leads from the inside out. And when we start letting those moral fibers disintegrate and we make little compromises here and there, and pretty soon, you know what, they become big, and then all of a sudden you're like, what in the world happened? You know what, you can trace it way back, way, way before. We can't see it, but in the inner life, there's moral failure. And either disobedience, not willing to walk with truth, or compromises that we let in. And uh, I'm not going to get through all my David, David said, you're going to get through all your slides? I said, probably not. <clears throat> Stewardship of faith. So look at some of the aspects here that Timothy refers to faith. He says they departed from it. They denied their faith. They strayed from their faith. And then Paul said that he had guarded his faith to the finish line. So you and I have a decision, you know, this stewardship of truth that God has so blessed us with. You know, what are we going to do? And we see an example in the life of Paul where he said, man, I guarded it. And to him it was a serious thing. Um, when you look at the pressures of our walk of faith as we look at it, we know that there's warfare, right? And that'll test us. We could, a lot we could say, instability, overload, uh, not taking time to draw away and, and really let the Holy Spirit through His Word convict and teach our hearts, you know? And uh, collision, slow leakage, okay? That would be that moral failure. And then navigational errors, just bad choices. And uh, man, that's why I so love working with plurality. God gave us such an excellent model in the leadership of the church as plurality. You know why? Because we all go off a little bit and we need each other to go, hey man, you know what? Uh, that's not a good idea. Or how you're interpreting that, that's probably not going to take you where you want to go. And uh, let's, let's really look at it and how God has given us. The other thing is poor design. And by poor design, I would say, these are referenced to kind of ships here, but poor design would be just not good doctrinal foundation. And uh, it causes it causes us to list, if I can say that. Um, <clears throat> so manifestations of our faith. Are, are we off course? Okay. Um, 
Have we abandoned our faith? Or do we have a storm-tossed faith? How about this one? How about a dock faith? You know, it, it's someone that, and we all know people, and, and we have times in our life where we're just kind of anchored comfortable. And there's the sea out there. We know the reference in Psalms 107.23. says, those that push out into the deep, they see God. And uh, but you know what? You have to cut the cord and push out. But we have so many people that are just docked, impressive ships. They're like they're worthless. What good are they going to be just tied up at the dock? You got to cut it loose and push out, and, uh, and then triumphant faith. And I'm probably, uh, you know what? I'm just going to stop there. We covered enough, but I hope it's a challenge. As you know, you're in God's Word, and this week you can just say, "Man, how am I doing with that stewardship of this huge body of truth of uh, what I understand and know of the character of God, and what I understand that He wants me? Maybe He's trying to nudge you somewhere." You're like, I don't know. And uh, but how God loves you. You know, this aspect of really being identified as a friend of God, it takes your willingness to step into his character and say, I can trust God. Thanks.